Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore hey it's Alora Nanos and Matthew Zachary and you're listening to Health Careless a new original segment from Out of Patients, where Matt and I round up the latest news in healthcare fuckery and patient shit shows. Each week, you'll get a no-nonsense recap of recent headlines brought to you by two longtime friends and healthcare consumers who are short on patients but long on advocacy. I'm a lawyer, and Matt's a cancer survivor and patient advocate. We've been friends since our high school band days, and we're psyched that you're joining us as we break down what's happening and how we feel about it. So buckle up. Hello, Allura, and welcome to Health Careless. Hey, Matt. Great to be here. And I'm already caring less. <laughs> I'm going to try to care a lot, actually, because um, I'm, I'm back. I was away for a week. I don't, did you miss me? I saw the Instagram photos or I'm lying and you didn't post on Instagram. Yes, I, I posted um, pictures of myself and my friends in a cornfield. That's what that was. Yes. yes. You went all rural on me. We, I did. We, we did a, a road trip through the Midwest, and um, these are my findings. There is a lot of beautiful, lush farmland, but paradoxically, zero vegetables to eat. I'm going to go with agribusiness is not working very well. I, I don't understand it. Literally, there is nothing from the earth to eat in any of these states, and yet farmland as far as the eye can see. It's as if they're growing deep fried grade Z cheese. That's something I care about. I'm not going to care less about this. We kind of need food. <laughs> we do. We need food. And and let me tell you, you should put Minnesota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Wisconsin first on the needing food list because there's fucking nothing there to eat. Oh, my God. But I mean, not like I, I'm not being a foodie here. I mean, I can be a foodie, but this was like there just was nothing. What are the dead baseball players wading through in Field of Dreams now? Yeah, I don't I really just don't know. There's fields growing stuff, but you know, unless you go and literally pick it out of the farm, there's just nothing to eat. So the show is really health cornless. Yeah. <laughs> we are health careless. <laughs> Here to examine all manner of fuckery surrounding healthcare in America. Well, we got some good stories for you this week. We do. We ha and, and we have some great stories today and I'm going to level with you. The first one is one that I don't know exactly whose fault the fuckery is. So maybe you can help me sort it out. All right. I shall assess blame accordingly. 
Yes, exactly. So here's what's going on. I don't know if you're aware. I am aware of almost nothing this week because I've been on vacation. So I'm coming back to learn that healthcare workers in California and Minnesota have been striking like crazy. And I didn't even know this. I, I feel badly that I didn't know it. But um, because it's been going on a while. Here, here's what's happening, right? Usually when I think of strikes, I think of situations in which workers are somehow being mistreated by their employers. And this feels a little different to me. Here's what's going on. Healthcare workers, and we're talking 2,600 of them, and these are all mental healthcare workers, therapists and counselors, people like that, who work for Kaiser in California. They've been striking for a month. And the reason that they've been striking is not for more money or anything like that, but because their conditions are so bad based on employee burnout that they just are refusing to work. And the problem seems to be that there are just too many potential patients and not enough therapists. So this is supply and demand for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. This is a situation, and I'm assuming that it is because there is more demand right now than there has ever been. I know I've, I've heard that across the board in the mental health industry, but what's happening, I mean, and it is pretty bad. The average Kaiser therapist sees between seven and 12 patients per day. And like a normal person in private practice as a therapist would only see between three and six patients a day. I can do so, math. That's bad. Yeah, That's a lot. I mean, Obviously, this is a really bad thing for not only for the mental health professionals, but for the people who need their help as well. And California, which is where Kaiser is, has a new law on the books that just went into effect in July that requires health insurers to get return appointments within 10 days for someone requesting a mental health or substance abuse appointment. So there's a lot of pressure from the insurance companies that providers have to get someone on the case for a patient right away. Yeah, this is the squeeze. This is what we've been hearing for years now. The uh, fabled seven minutes, which used to be seven minutes in heaven. Now it's seven minutes in hell. <laughs> seven minutes in a therapist's office. Yeah, you have seven minutes to, to diagnose, treat, and and send your patients away with no empathy, no Hippocrates, no nothing. And the impact of that squeeze makes you a worse doctor for the wrong reasons? Absolutely. Now, so obviously there's a big problem here. And, and I'll just tell you, in Minnesota, there was this major nurses strike. 15,000 nurses in Minnesota went on strike for three days. Now the strike is over right now, but the underlying problem is basically the same problem. Not enough nurses, too much work, too many patients, bad patient to nurse ratio. And they really haven't solved the problem there either. So obviously this is a major problem. But here's the thing. I don't think anyone is denying that it is a problem for healthcare professionals to be totally overworked and totally overloaded. I, I get that. But I, I don't really understand, A, how striking would be helpful at all. And B, it's not as if the employer can just magically say like, okay, great. Now we have a three to one patient to nurse ratio. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand how this is the type of thing that a strike is going to help. So so I'm not a healthcare professional. Maybe there's something I'm missing about it. This seems entirely counterproductive to me. I have mixed thoughts on this because, I mean, in the cancer space, I know a lot of oncology nurses and oncologists who don't have the time to spend with cancer patients. But in the mental health space, yeah, I, I would almost say it sounds counterproductive, but if you know that you're so burned out 
that you are of no use to these patients seeking therapy, what's worse? Giving them shitty therapy that you know is violating Hippocrates and doing no good to you or them, or demanding that they change the system because what's worse, getting no care or shitty care? So, I mean, is that what you think the goal is here, that that these professionals go on strike, which is sort of a direct action toward their employer, but really their employer is not the problem? I mean, is it they're, they're trying to fix some larger system that goes beyond their employer and they're hoping that the strike helps? I would ask where the fuck the American Nursing Association is in this conversation, because they have a powerful group that could, pro- I'm not going to say they could snap their fingers, but where are they? And maybe they're there and we don't know that, but I would want to know where they are because they're like the American Medical Association. They represent tens of thousands, if not more, of nurses in this country that they know are squoes. I'll make that word up. Totally squoes based on all this nonsense. Again, I go back to the balance is if you know that you are supposed to provide care, mental health care, to people in need and you can't do that effectively, you might do more harm than good. I mean, I I agree with that. But again, I mean, I don't understand the strategy of striking when the problem is a problem simply of supply and demand. Important as nurses and mental health professionals are, I this to me seems entirely parallel to the fact that public defenders are overworked and underpaid. Prosecutors are overworked and underpaid. Teachers are overworked and underpaid. Everybody is stretched to the absolute limits. And I'm not suggesting that it's the same for healthcare professionals as it is for other professions. All I'm saying, though, is that if the answer is, well, we're going to go on strike because there's not enough of us. To me, that just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. What appeared, it's, it doesn't like I have no evidence that the employers are saying you're seeing 15 patients a day. We don't think that's a problem. I mean, isn't the answer just that these employers could just pay more money to other people and get a higher supply? Or or is that not the case? Like, I just don't really understand what the solution is here. Well, overworked district attorneys don't get paid by insurance companies to get reimbursed for seeing these these what are they called defendants? Right. They don't. Yeah. It's a different situation. You know, teachers can strike and it's not like the school gets reimbursed for them teaching. They get paid to teach. Nurses and and professionals in medicine work in systems where everything is dependent on them getting the system, the company getting reimbursed for their services because insurance has to cover that. Insurance doesn't cover a DA or a teacher. That's a public health service. So is the fuckery originating from the insurance company? Yes. Is that is that how, yes. a thousand percent? It's the fuckery of the insurance companies. It always is. And walk me through how a massive strike is designed to get the insurance company to fix that kind of fuckery. I can't speak to it. I just know that this has never happened to my memory. And I think it's about time that the medical professional universe stands up to it. It's not fair to patients. It's not fair to Americans. And it's something that just, it's never going to change unless something does something. I mean, I that all makes absolute sense to me. And, and let me just suggest this. It should not be just the professionals themselves who are causing a ruckus about it. I mean, it would make far more sense if it were the patients that were causing a ruckus about it. It would make more sense if it's those of us, which is everyone, paying insurance premiums. It's possible the strike is to drive awareness to the average American who needs the service. 
What good? I mean, that would make a lot of sense to me then. Right. If the answer is we should all speak up more about this because it's not so much, oh, the poor nurses and therapists because they're being mistreated, but like, holy shit, this is a big problem and therapists shouldn't be seeing 25 patients a day and we should all do something about it. That's a great message. Here's the thing. What is it that I should do about it, though? That I don't know. This might be policy <laughs> legislation at the state level. This might be sending angry letters to the insurance companies. I, I, I don't know enough to comment in, in that particular sense about this. But if I was a patient in need of mental health services, either in person or telehealth, and I found out that this is going to be subpar service because they can't do their jobs to the point that they know they can, I don't want that service. And there's a double-edged sword here because the more scrosed they get, the more burnout they'll be and the less nurses they'll be, which reinforces the shortage. Right, right. So, I mean, I wonder if part of the issue here is putting pressure on employers to make sure that when they contract with insurance companies, that they are contracting with insurance companies who are adequately reimbursing these services such that the providers are have the kind of the latitude to provide the kind of care in the kind of numbers that is really necessary. And maybe it's incumbent on employers to pay more attention to like, hey, what's our insurance company doing and what effect is that having on providers? And is it is it worsening the situation or not? Well, again, this is not new. Doctors used to have an hour to spend with patients and now they have seven minutes. So right. how much good can you do to that patient in seven minutes? How much more could they have benefited if you had more than seven minutes? Absolutely. Well, I think you've convinced me that the fuckery is systemic and that we should all be outraged and we should all speak up about it. Amen. Sure. Problem solved. We're done. Good night, folks. Problem not problem not remotely solved or even really <laughs> specifically identified, just griped about. But I mean, that's what we're here for, right? So like raise awareness for all the things you should be totally furious about. All right. Now, in the spirit of the Allura angry barometer, that first story was pretty intense. Is the second story, where, where should I be aiming my emotions right now? Okay. The second story, you should aim your emotions directly at Johnson & Johnson. Okay. This is fuckery and more fuckery right here. Okay. Go forth. Okay. This is like legal loophole bullshit nonsense. So remember there was the massive talcum powder class action lawsuit with Johnson Johnson? Yeah. That was from like when they had talcum, the baby powder in the seventies and eighties, right? And how, you know, many people, myself included, used talcum powder every single day of their lives. And then a lot of people ended up getting cancer from it. And and this was like, in my family, everyone used talcum powder all the time. It was like a like deodorant. We all used talcum powder. And when this happened, we were like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Right. Uh, Johnson Johnson took the talcum powder off the shelves. Now the powder that's there doesn't have talc in it anymore. So that's all good. But there was this massive class action lawsuit. And, you know, we all know that when this happens and there is a provable link between a consumer product and some kind of negative health condition, you know, the company ends up just paying out zillions of dollars and- Kind of that's how our system deals with it, okay? And Johnson & Johnson obviously knew what was going to happen in its immediate future. Johnson & Johnson, headquartered in New Jersey, and it made, it used this little loophole in Texas state law. And what it did was create a spinoff company. So it created this like little subsidiary company. And it gave that company all of the talcum powder liabilities. So it like took all the debt and put it in a silo in this subsidiary company. You can do that? Apparently. And then that little subsidiary relocated to North Carolina uh, because of I don't know why and immediately filed for bankruptcy. 
And because it filed for bankruptcy, it stopped all of the baby powder lawsuits because if the company doesn't have any assets, then it can't really support any claims. So they pulled like a Cayman Island scam. Yeah, it's like a total scam. Now, look, there are things that feel like scams but are totally legal. And then there are things that feel like scams and are absolutely scams. Where we are right now is we don't know. We don't know if this is something that it was legit for Johnson & Johnson to do or if they were really playing fast and loose with the rules. And obviously, the plaintiffs in the talcum powder cases sued. It is now on appeal. And there was oral argument this week in front of the Third Circuit, which is a federal appeals court. And we'll see what that court says. Depending on which way it comes out, the case still could be appealed to the United States Supreme Court. So it wouldn't be the end of the line, regardless of what happens. But I mean, it's a pretty big deal if you think about it, right? Because if you think back to when we heard that Johnson & Johnson was going to be liable for all of these claims, the last thing that we expected was, oh, they're not going to pay it because they're going to go bankrupt. I mean, that's what happened in The Rainmaker, where the the whole movie is they're you know working to try to get this verdict. And then at the end, the big company skips out because they filed for bankruptcy. John Grisham for the win. Absolutely. Which is like, this is what happens. And this is why corporate lawyers just cannot, like you can't win. It's like a miserable kind of law to practice. Like, sorry, cancer patients for giving you cancer, but peace out. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and let's let's keep in mind, Johnson & Johnson is a for-profit company. So it has duties to its shareholders to maximize the profits and minimize their liabilities. So they have a duty to manage their finances in a way that makes the most sense for the company. Their duty is not to plaintiffs in cancer lawsuits. Right. But it just feels shitty. Wait, so it, it all comes down to Texas, right? Thank you, Texas, for having this fucking loophole. I'm not an expert on the Texas law, but I do know that legal experts commonly refer to this, create the subsidiary and then send it off and file for bankruptcy as the Texas two-step. So yes, I, <laughs> which, yup, like that tracks, right? So, so this is in the something circuit, circuit city. What'd you say? It's in the, it's in the third circuit, which is in, um, in my neck of the woods. It's over here in Philadelphia. Oh, it's because the Johnson Johnson is headquartered in New Jersey. So right. that's. That's where the case is currently proceeding. It'll probably take a few months for the Third Circuit to render its decision. We'll see what happens, and then we'll see if the other side appeals to the Supreme Court. I mean, this reeks in some not quite apples to apples of what the cigarette companies pulled off in the 80s and 90s. Uh huh. It reeks, and the baby powder is not even helping. Right. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) terrible. Like what I did there. Well, we're going to take a break for some ads. Not from Johnson & Johnson. (laughs) We'll see you back here in a second. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. 
So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back and my angerometer is high. Can you bring me down a little notch with the next story? I can. You want to hear something that's going to make everybody happy? All right. Ryan Reynolds' ass. I'm happy. I'm totally, oh my God, what a spirit lift. Thank you. I needed this. I really needed this today. Did you? Yeah. I'll tell you, let's talk about his ass. Okay. Um, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney came together to televise their colonoscopies. That is exciting in a weird way because that's what Katie Couric did 20 years ago on national television. I remember it. It was like a really big deal when she did it. You know, Ryan Reynolds makes everything so much fun. Yes, he does. He really does. And I have to tell you, this could not be more timely. It just could not be. Yesterday, I went to my annual gynecologist appointment because I am religious about doing that. And I got there to find out kind of a good piece of information and a bad piece of information. Okay. So the good information was that apparently the pap test is no longer needed every single year, which is like wonderful news. And this is like depending on what your history is and all that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. But she she was like, great news. You don't have to do this every year. And I was like, that's amazing. I was so happy. And she was like, well, but the bad news is you do have to get a colonoscopy now. Welcome to approaching 50. Yes. I was like, oh, my God. Talk about the devil, you know, versus the devil, you know. (laughs) So I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to get the colonoscopy. Will this be your first? Yes, it will be my first. Oh, have I got fun for you. Oh, I can't wait. And um, But I have to tell you, it just happened that then I went home last night and saw Ryan Reynolds' televised colonoscopy. And of course, you know, it was just them wheeling him into the surgical center and they showed him afterwards and stuff. And I have to tell you, it made me feel so much better. I don't know why. I really don't know why. Like there, it shouldn't have an immediate effect on me, but it absolutely did. It made me feel much more relaxed about it. There are so many stigmas around colon cancer. And again, I've been in this business for 20 years and what Katie did was fantastic. And it really did destigmatize it a little bit. I'll comment here that I think this was put together by the folks at Exact Science who we've done a show with here on their product, Cologuard. I may be wrong, but I am a huge promoter of Cologuard, which I kind of equate to poop on a stick in your house, <laughs> send it in, and they'll tell you if you need a colonoscopy because the last oh, really? thing you want, yeah, if you don't need one, don't get one. So the idea is let's try to prevent unnecessary colonoscopies if you don't need them. So this idea is poop on a stick. 
and send your poop in to the genetics lab and they'll say oh, oh like on a stick like like a pregnancy test stick not a thumb drive no you poop on yeah like not you, like a popsicle stick no no <laughs> pick your stick and poop on it no it doesn't work that way they send you like a genetic test like a 23 and me and instead oh. of saliva you you put your poop on it you send it in and they analyze the genetics in your gut biome and they determine if you were needing a colonoscopy Instead of – so the whole point is it's magic genetic science of the 22nd cool. century. That is great science. Let me tell you. Can I volunteer not to be the person that has to open those? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Please. it's done in a metal lab like an ET when they were dissect, trying to dissect them. Exactly. But, you know, I really, really do think that normalizing any kind of screening test for anything is so important. And I love – seeing, it doesn't matter what the test is. I, I love seeing people talk about their mammograms and their colonoscopies and all that, because it's miraculous that we have these screening tests and no one should refrain from going because they're like uncomfortable or feel stigmatized about it. So again, going back to 20 years of advocacy, colon cancer is kind of has a special place because it, it, the hesitancies specifically from communities of color stem from years of racial inequality in healthcare and medicine, and this trust that just isn't quite there yet. And 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 they're at the most at-risk communities, as far as I'm aware, based on the, the data I used to know. And this whole notion of you don't have to go to the doctor if you can poop on a stick to know you don't need to go to the doctor is what their goal is. So destigmatizing colorectal cancer screenings today means something very different and much better than it did 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And and then even for, for those of us that are going to get a colonoscopy for who it's recommended, I think it's really important for people to kind of share their experiences and, you know, and say, hey, this is nothing to worry about, or I do it every five years or whatever it is. Because I think that you know, we get the majority of our important information from the people closest to us. And when you see friends, family, coworkers saying, oh, I'm out on Tuesday because I'm getting a colonoscopy, as opposed to I'm out because I'm having a procedure and then you have to just guess what that is. I think that it, it's helpful. And I think that that is advocacy in a tiny way that really is advocating for better health, better public health, um, better personal health. And I think it's important to kind of, you know, not not advertise, but to kind of communicate about what you're doing and what you think is important, whether we're talking about HIV testing or COVID testing or cancer screenings, it's all important. So, I mean, I appreciate that celebrities are taking on these kind of projects to use their platform for something so positive. Well, yeah, and it's so much better than the stupid black and white ads raising money for things. This is actual practical stuff. He literally had a stick shoved up his ass in real life to see if he had colon cancer or polyps or pre-cancer. So here's the thing. I, I want to reinforce this just one more time for the listeners. We've come so far in genetics and genomic testing, and those are scary words for lots of people, where you can now avoid needing these tests if you can poop on a stick, rhetorically speaking, and find out how at risk you are in general and avoid having a colonoscopy or an endoscopy or a mammogram. There are these amazing technologies coming to market in the next couple of years where you're going to basically have retail cancer prevention at Walgreens. 
And is that stuff that you just get on your own or is it like a doctor recommends that you get it? No, as of right now, they are not available in retail. They will be at some point, very much like how 23andMe was prescription and then went to Walgreens. I don't know why I keep saying I Walgreens. See. Anyway, you find your genetic tests and any, <laughs> any supermarket has them these days. But this fundamental idea, you can avoid medical procedures unless you need them, saves everyone lots of money, lots of time, and helps these medications actually get to the patients that only need them instead of this mammograms, you know, you, you take the day off, colonoscopies, lots of sedations, you know, you have to prep, which you'll, I can't wait to hear your prep story when you're done. Oh, I, I don't yeah. even know how, <laughs> like I'm stockpiling the yellow jello as we speak. Yeah, no, no, yeah, just, just, I, I cannot wait. Don't, don't film it, but just, I can't wait to hear your, your, your story. Have you ever talked to me when I haven't eaten for a whole day? It's not pretty. Also, some employers do not give you the day off. You have to like take a sick day or a medical day yeah. to get your test if you're employed and have to get Which these things. Which is fucked up. So if you That's don't have really to, fucked up. Yeah. Only you can prevent colonoscopies if you learn about these genetic <laughs> tests. But I, I didn't answer your question, which is that, yes, your GI doctor should know to tell you about Coligard. Again, not a sponsor on the particular show. I support it because it helps people not get the things they don't need and saves everyone money and time. But if you are going to the doctor for GERD or GI, whatever you're seeing, even your primary care doctor that says to you, you should get a colonoscopy, you can ask, can I take the Coligard test to see if I really need one right now? And that's something very easy every American can do today. I have to tell you, I'm so I have my appointment with the GI doctor next week. And I'm going to try out this advice and I'm going to ask the doctor that very question. Can I just use Colacard? And I will report in and tell you what happens. Yep. This that... is very exciting. I feel like I'm being put out in the field. <laughs> you are my guinea pig. My thing. ass <laughs> is being put in the field. <laughs> Literally it's your only... ass in the field. Leaning Literally, from behind. Elura Nanos for the win. Thank you for taking the, <laughs> taking it for the team. Let me tell you. Colonoscopy, they put you out for a little bit. I will take that five times before I want to do another mammogram. They're so miserable. I do it. I'm I'm religious about it, but like, oh my God, it's so miserable. I mean, I've been having colonoscopies my entire life because I'm always at predisposition of, you go through the Chernobyl Easy Bake Oven when you're 21, your, your body's not going to work the way other people's work 25 years later. So yeah, I, I kind of like just embrace them at this point now. And honestly, it's a nice nap. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, just, let me tell you, that's how you know you're a parent when you're like, I'm going to go for a medical procedure, but like, hey, I'll get some rest. That's his. Yeah. Bingo. Nothing. So, I, I fell asleep in an MRI machine recently. Yeah. My spa day with propofol. <laughs> yes, exactly. If they could just find a way to like touch up my roots while we're at it, yes. I will be all set. Little Manny Petty while you're getting your. Uh, your yeah, wake up, <laughs> get a little microderma breathing. <laughs> I said, I think we discovered a new business model. <laughs> MRIs and margaritas. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, we are approaching the conclusion of our show, and we want to leave our listeners with perhaps the latest and greatest headlines that may or may not piss you off. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Just a couple of headlines not to miss. President Biden, by the way, is telling people that the pandemic is over, even though healthcare experts totally disagree. So that seems a little suspect. Quick response is, I think it's over from the perspective of lockdowns and millions of people dying every day. And we need to reinterpret what COVID is as a chronic disease and a thing we live with. I think that's fair. 
There's also a study that shows this is very disturbing. One in five American households has medical debt, even people with private insurance. That sucks. Well, here's the thing, too. Again, my quick response is it is the underinsured Americans that lose out the most in this country. And underinsured are usually Americans that are part of an employer-based plan. They work every day, and it's just not good enough to cover what you need. That sucks. Like, no one should be facing major debt because of medical bills. Everyone should be the same boat that I'm in, which is that you're facing major debt over private college. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, And lastly, so I don't know if you know about this. The Associated Press has this NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research. That's a great acronym. What does NORC stand for? I have no idea what it stands for, but it's, I don't know, it's, it it's must be pretty trustworthy if it's part of the, the AP. Yeah. And they did a poll, and this is like hilarious to me. They did a poll about like, how well do you think our healthcare system is functioning? Wait, 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 wait. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the, Captain the Obvious moment. Is, yeah, like, how, is water wet for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> guess what? Only 12% of the people said that it's handled extremely well in the U.S. I want those people on the show. <laughs> who are those people? They're babies. Yes. <laughs> I don't understand who would say that. Um, you know, Jeff not Bezos, Bill Gates, you know, Mark they? Cuban. Yeah, they're, they're the 12%. It's Maybe they're 12% of people who are like engaged in Medicare fraud and they just don't want to draw any attention. Exactly, exactly. I, I literally have no idea what that's about. And I think it's absolutely absurd that there's like organizations funding polls for this. So if the American healthcare system were a restaurant in New York, it would get an F and be condemned and knocked down the same day. <laughs> yes, <sighs> absolutely. So before we wrap, I want to talk about something I'm going to talk about next week. I had the privilege of going to a Biden cancer moonshot launch event in Boston at the Kennedy Library a week ago, Monday. Aren't you fancy? It was fantastic. I'm very privileged. I've lived a non-ordinary life, and I have a wonderful relationship with tons of people who now happen to be working in the White House for the cancer moonshot and the cancer cabinet. What the president announced leans very heavily on the last three federal protection laws that got passed by Congress, the least of which is the No Surprises Hospital Billing Act and the infrastructure bill, which covers things like rural health care. I will report back on all that because I want to really synthesize it. But the gist is what he's planning to do are executive actions that will further protect Americans from healthcare fuckery. And I'm excited to report back on them to all of you next week. Well, I look forward to that. But it's really important that this message gets distilled down in lay speak so everyone understands what is actually going to happen in this country, at least for the next two years, if it gets undone, whatever. But wherever you live in the political spectrum, we can probably all agree that no one should go broke from cancer and rare disease and healthcare. And that's the gist of this. And it's very exciting. And again, I will report back next week. Excellent. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. I, I care less than I did when the show started. I don't, You should care less. Don't be too careless about I it. I care more for the nurses on strike. I know. I care about them. I care about everybody. Yes. I'm just full of caring. You... <laughs> Wait, who are you? <laughs> we'll be back next week, everybody. Thanks for listening and, and venting right alongside with us. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary and the Health Careless segment is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary, Elura Nanos, and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. 
It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Shout out to Brianna Seely for added support. And special thanks to our segment co-host, Elora Nanos.